Today, we are joined by Brandon Seiler, captain of the 2006 University of Florida National Championship team and star of the recently released Netflix documentary, Swamp Kings. After a storied career for the Florida Gators, Brandon took his talents to the NFL, where he had a six-year career with the San Diego Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Following his pro career, Brandon came back here to Orlando, Florida, where he started Legacy Pro Sports, whose purpose is to provide resources for former pro athletes and to maintain a desirable quality of life after their playing careers. Brandon also recently started his own Leadership Academy and released his new book, The Definition of a Leader. Without further ado, Brandon Seiler. I want to talk about how you, you got here because you've been kind of a leader of men your entire career from... It seems like high school, actually before that until now. Yeah. So talk a little bit about kind of your upbringing in Orlando and Pine Hills and how that shaped you as a leader going into college and then through the NFL and now here. I was born in Daytona and my mom, my mom was the first transsetter in our family, right? Because even our family now in Daytona, they're in Daytona, they stay in Daytona. They hardly ever move out of mm -hmm. Daytona. They hardly ever travel out of Daytona. And my mom said, nah, that's mm -hmm. not me. I want something bigger, right? So my mom was the first one that thought bigger in the same way that I do, right? So she left Daytona and came to Orlando, said that she wanted something bigger, bigger opportunity, bigger place to right. be, to do more things, see more things, right? Eventually... Two other family members, my my cousin Chucky, my cousin Bali, followed her. Their brothers, her cousins, followed her to Orlando really? and said, "See, we want that opportunity too, right?" And came here and 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 blossomed. We don't understand it, but we have a lot of general generational things inside of us that are just there. Absolutely, they're built inside of you because that's a part of what you've grown to know, right? And I think that that shows strength of her mm -hmm. jumping out and saying, no, I'm going to do something different than our family and everybody in our family has already done, right? So she did that. She made that first step. Was it just the two of you or or who took that step? Well, was your family she took point? the step with me and then had my brother, Devontae, mm -hmm. later having Jermaine and Jada, but... We went all the way about, I went about into middle school with me, my mom, and my little brother. My dad uh, was always in Orlando, too. Oh, really? But just selfish, honestly. I mean, yeah. and a great guy and a great friend. If he was a friend of him, probably mm -hmm. he's a great That's friend. Cool. But he was my dad, right? So, which meant that there were certain responsibilities that came with being my dad, mm -hmm. right? And not meeting those responsibilities made him a horrible person to me. It wasn't until I got older that I understood that he was a terrible dad. That didn't make him a terrible person. I can relate to that. It was just me and my mom growing up forever here in Orlando as well. And my dad ended up passing away when I was 15. And so I, I think it's awesome you have the chance to be friends with your father like that now. Yeah. And see that and build that relationship now. You know, I grew up a long time hating my dad. And then I forgave him. Right. And then we came together. And then I realized why it was right to be separate. Right. Right. It's just because we look alike. We sound alike. We, But we're not built on the same things. Right. Mm. I could never. I haven't missed games, football games, birthday parties, Thanksgiving. Right. Uh, uh, 
teachers and uh, showing up, parent teacher conference. I gotta be there, right? I gotta be there for my boys, and I never want them to feel that. And that ultimately, there's there's three things, you know, in that order. There's God, there's my wife, and then my boys, right? And and then there's business, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I think that is how it's. That's how I'm built. That's how I've always been built. You know, no matter what I do, no matter how I do it, I'm built like that. The decisions that I make are in that order. And that's how I handle things in my life. And I think that's why structurally, I haven't always been built that way, but as the adult me, I'm built that way. And it just shows that, you know, um, that's why we're different. It's what is in the foundation what makes me go, what makes me do what I want to, what, what I have to do and what I do every day. It's going to be that much more clear to you, right? When you know what you're built on, what your foundation is, what your priorities are. Like you're saying, all these opportunities coming at you. Well, if they don't fall in that order, if they don't check the right boxes, if they're not the right people you want to associate with, it becomes pretty easy to make decisions. I'm telling you, I, I would bet, but I'm telling you, well, it's not that easy, right? Because I'm a businessman, right? Well, yeah. So, yeah. so, when something looks good in business, I'm like, oh yeah. Right. Your natural instincts kick in. My right? natural instincts, <laughs> but it's like I gotta have it. <laughs> right. I gotta have it. Right. I had a opportunity to uh, create my own tequila. Right. And I was thinking, like, you know, Kevin Hart's got a tequila. Right. Jordan's got a tequila. The Rock's it's got the a trend tequila. Right now. Tequila is where I'm going. Right. Right. Um, but I've had my bouts with uh, substance abuse and mental health, right? Um, that's why I have a company right now. Like I have a rehab facility in California, right. Pure Recovery California. And it's all about mental health, substance abuse, uh, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, um, TBIs, PTSD, right? Um, and I take that stuff serious, right? But when I come across an opportunity where I have this liquor, all I think about is the business sense mm-hmm. of it, right? And this is why I have a great wife, right? She comes along and she says, whoa, 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 whoa. If you go create a liquor company, mm-hmm. it's going to take more drinking, mm-hmm. more craziness, more mm-hmm. off the chain. It's going to spiral you back in a... And I was there when you was at that point. I was there when you was at that low. That's not something that we should be doing. Mm-hmm. And initially, I'm thinking, you don't understand business. Right. You don't understand. Right. This could make us a lot of money. But it's not worth that sacrifice. And she had to open that door and wake me up to that. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Right? But it takes that little bit. It takes Mm -hmm. that person that understands Mm -hmm. you like that, that when everything else is right, when everybody else feels like this is the right play, she says, well, let's set aside what 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 the goal is here, right. right? Right, and if the goal is this, if the goal is in this order, then let's not do that play. Moving through high school, right, playing football, were there any other sports or was kind of football your main goal? Because I actually, I think I read something, you were an, you were an actor in high school? Oh, yeah. Man, you did lead student thespian. government? Lead, lead, lead thespian. Thespian. <laughs> Let's go. Lead thespian, baby. Walter <laughs> Lee Younger in the Raising of the Sun. Let's wow. Go. Yes. So, <laughs> is there um, any footage of this? We gotta, we gotta see that. Somehow. If there is, my wife would kill anybody that put it out. 
I played football. I was first team All-State in basketball, too. Going into high school, I was the second best baseball player in the state, right? My mom made me quit baseball, which is one of probably me and her both biggest regrets, mm. right? Because I was yeah. a phenom in baseball. Baseball's where the money's at, too. Right, and I would have made 20 times as much money, but I wouldn't have been able to save all these guys' lives. Right, right. exactly. Right, so that's where, you know, God puts us in for a reason, right? So you have... Football, basketball, baseball. I ran track. I was the I was the anchor of our four by one. Okay. Um, but I didn't like track practice. Right. So I started playing tennis so that I didn't have to go to the track practice. So I played tennis. <laughs> Is that where the pickleball connection comes yeah, That's what it is. Let's go. That's why you got it. I started playing tennis my senior year. We had a brand new court at Evans. And I started playing tennis so that I didn't have to go to the track practices. And then I would go to the track meets just to run. When they ran, because track practices were brutal. I didn't like them. Talk a little bit about getting recruited to play college football, because I know there's a couple of different stories yeah. in that that I think are pretty interesting. Going into the 10th grade from the 9th grade, me and my cousin, AJ, I, I love my cousin, AJ. He's my favorite cousin in the world, and he stayed in Daytona. When we moved from Daytona, Orlando, my mom wouldn't even go down there, or his mom would come here so that we would have our weekends together, right. me and AJ, nice. right? Because we stayed together before we moved. This one weekend, I was going to Daytona, and he was at Mainland, and it was a bunch of big recruits. Mainland was really mm -hmm. good in football. And when I got there, they all were leaving to go to a camp at the University of Florida. So they all, their whole team was going to the camp. So I jump in the van with them. I go to the camp. I'm not registered for the camp or anything, right? We get in the line. Everybody signed up for the camp. I signed, you know, everybody, you know, I'm signing the paper. Right. I didn't even know what position I was. They asked me <laughs> what position. I'm like, uh, I was playing defensive end and tight end at the time. Mm. Like tight end, I guess. Right. So tight end is what I got. So we go to the camp, and of course, all of them, their asses are tight, right? Because they know how important this is, right. how big of a right. thing this is. I don't give a damn. You're like, why is everyone so serious? <laughs> right. <laughs> I am partying when I get there. As soon as I get there, I am off the chain. Just, hey, what's up, guys? How y'all doing? <laughs> Nobody can guard me around here. That's amazing. You know, and I was just loose. And uh, lo and behold, at tight end, you know, I was running past all these linebackers and mm -hmm. killing them and all of that stuff. And one of the best cornerbacks in the country got tired of my talking. I was talking, I was talking a lot, right? He got tired of it. He's like, hey, stop picking at all the fat boys. Come out here and get some. I said, oh, oh you want some pipsqueak? <laughs> and he was one of the best cornerbacks uh, in the country yeah. at that time. Of course, one-on-one, -on -one, I got one opportunity. What's the route? Right. What's the route? What are you doing? He's What's going, the route that going, I'm going to run one-on-one -on -one with him? What's the route? He's going deep on him? You know it. <laughs> It's you gonna fly, call him baby. out too? You gonna, it's a you fly, name baby. drop? You? It's a fly. We got one route. You know what I'm doing. <laughs> we go one on one. I catch a deep ball on him, right? I catch a deep ball on him. Catch it, <laughs> spike it, start dancing and tootsie roll it. I said, "Well, I guess I got both now. Both lines now." <laughs> Anybody, anybody want to challenge me? I, I think I might go play quarterback next. <laughs> That's awesome. So when I got back from that camp, starting that next season, I was the number one tight end in the state. <laughs> when you were in high school, what was the goal? What, what school 
Was was Florida always the goal or? No, actually, I was an avid U fan. I was Miami, University wow. of yeah. Miami because they were the U at that yeah. time. And I was like, I wanted to be a part of that, right? And at my high school, Kennard Lane had went to the University of Miami before me, years before me. And I was like, oh, I want to be University mm-hmm. of Miami. And I'll never forget, I was there that day that I, I walked in my into my coach's office and he said, University of Miami, the same thing, that 10th grade year, going into that year, I'm balling. He says, hey, you know, he puts me on a coach. He said, hey, the coach from the University of Miami want to talk to you. And now I'm getting letters. I'm like, <laughs> it's getting oh, real, yeah. it's getting yeah. real. Here we go, right? Um, I took my SAT because there was a guy by the name of uh, wide receiver at a uh, – at uh, Dr. Phillips, mm. Ryan Moore. Mm. Ryan Moore was the best receiver in the country. And I couldn't understand how Ryan Moore was the best receiver in the country because Ryan Moore played at Dr. Phillips, which means he played West Orange, Edgewater, right. Evans. Right. How did he know? How did they know that he was the best receiver in the country? Right. And I asked my coach that one day and he said, Oh, because he's qualified. I said, Qualified? What? what well, right. was qualified, right? So he said, oh, he's already scored high enough on the SAT to go to any school in the country. I said, the SAT, what's that? I I want some. Give me, I want to be qualified. Yeah. And I went and I signed up for the SAT, scored uh, a score that I basically could go to any, any school in the country, right. Right. right? So I took that from the lesson of Ryan Moore and Ryan Moore went to Miami. I was a big U fan. So actually the day when he put me on the phone with the coach, I was just talking. Cause I mean, this is the University of Miami. I was like, oh man, I love Miami. You sell, yeah. Literally, no bullshit. I was on that phone call. I had a Miami shirt, Miami shorts, and my, and some green and orange dadas <laughs> on, on my feet. Remember those oh, yeah. dadas? Oh, yeah. That's what I was wearing in a in a Miami hat when when this conversation right. happens. And uh, he he got on the phone with me and he said, uh, he said, son, you know, my 10th grade year, he said, son, you know, University of Miami. I was like, oh man, I love Miami. Man, I love this, I love that, I love these guys, I love that guys, I love them guys. Man, I've been studying, I've been loving these guys forever. And then he said, Yeah, yeah, good, good. Okay, you ready to commit? I said, well, I'm in 10th grade. Like, I can't mm. commit to Miami in mm. 10th grade. He's like, oh, well, we're going to need you to commit right now because there's a thousand more Brandon Silas waiting wow. on this scholarship. And I said, motherfucker, you ain't got a thousand more Brandon Silas. No way. And I hung the phone up. And that was the end of that, wasn't it? And that was the end of that. My coach was looking at me. He's like, did you just do what I think you did? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, f- them. Ain't no thousand more Brandon Silas nowhere around this. Man, love and that. And I, I hung that phone up 
And I went to the locker room and I threw my shit in the trash and I came back out with white t-shirts and shorts and that was it. Murder she wrote to Miami. I love oh, love that for a lot of reasons. One, obviously, because we're all gators. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Yeah, we won in the deal. Yeah, yeah, that coach you, have, you have definitely won yeah. in that part. Yeah. Two, like clearly there's not a thousand Brandon Silers. That's ridiculous. And three, that was back when committing meant something. You're like, I can't commit. Right. If you weren't gonna commit then de- then actually right. keep getting recruited. That's what's interesting about that too. Going through the recruiting process. You know, as I went up to my senior year, I got into my senior year and I was like, you know, you know, I'm going to USC. And uh, USC came to Florida and only recruited me, Keith Rivers and Kenny Ingram, three guys. Mm. They told us that. Hey, we're only recruiting three guys right. here. We want y'all three guys. We're taking them to, well, Kenny Ingram already knew he was going to Florida State. He was a diehard Florida State guy. He was going to Florida State out of Edgewater. Cool. Well, Keith was gonna go to USC and mm-hmm. I was like shoot I'm going to USC too we actually took our visits to Florida together me and Keith we took our visits to Florida we orchestrated it where we going to Florida together you know we were mm-hmm. going to USC together well as we was going to USC together um, two nights before we go on the visit Kenny Ingram called me because Kenny was going on the visit to us with USC too you know because we always gonna do it together and Kenny says hey I wanna let you know USC just called me and they told me that they don't have any more scholarships because they got a bunch of junior college signees mm. uh, at safety. 15 minutes later, I get a call, and they tell me that they have too many junior college signees mm. at linebacker, so they aren't able to recruit me any further. Broke my mm. heart. I had already told everybody in the recruiting process that I was done. I'm going to USC. Florida, Ron Zook, yep. they didn't quit. They stayed in it as I was going through that process. It's okay, we're here. I understand you committed there, but just know that we want you. We want you. The whole entire time, we want you. <laughs> just know that we're here. We want you. <clears throat> and uh, broke my heart. It's one of the few times that I like sob, boo-hoo, boo-hoo right. cried. And my mama just held me and just, baby, it'll be all right. Mm. It'll be all right. I was crying. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I called Keith, and Keith said, no, they never called me. So I'll be going tomorrow. Mm. And that that sucked. Makes it even worse. Yeah, Made it worse, right? He played the same position as me, right? So um, after that, um, I get an opportunity to play in all these All-Star games, but the one All-Star game that I choose was Florida versus Cali. <laughs> right? Love where this is going. <laughs> because I just thought in my mind, I couldn't, I had to go over there and see, you know, right. these guys that were committed to USC and da 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 I wanted it. So um, I was excited about the opportunity to go over there and play. All right. I get on a plane. We There's two planes leaving out of Florida. So there's one in Miami and there's one up in right. uh, Orlando. And the coaches were up in Orlando. And fortunately enough for me, I sat next to the linebacker coach. Now, how crazy is that, that this big plane, mm. I'm sitting next to the linebacker coach. And I'm thinking, hell yeah. I get to sit next to the linebacker coach for five, six hours right. on the way to Cali and let him know about, you know, what I'm about. Mm-hmm. 
how I think, what, you know, what I'm, what my work that my work ethic is, all of that. The very first words he said to me was, I can't wait to coach Bruce Momperman. And I'll never, ever forget that name in my life. Because <laughs> that's the type of effect that that had on me. For six hours, he told me about how good Bruce was. About how great Bruce was going to be. About how crazy of an athlete he was. And that nobody could ever be just as good as him. As I'm sitting right next to him, he's telling me, the same guy that plays Bruce Montpremier's spot. Right. That's what he told me for six hours. By the time I landed, I was ready to go. Called my mom, get me out of here. I want to be here. I'll play another All-Star game. She said, no, nah, baby, you chose that game. Just finish it out. In practice, I would run through. Bruce Montpremier would hit the fullback. I would tackle a dude for four-yard loss. He would go crazy about the way that Bruce Montpremier took on that that mm. that fullback. So mm. that was a lasting effect on me. Drove me pretty much crazy, right? Everybody knows that my alter ego is pretty crazy, right? Um, and I snapped. By the time we got to the game, um, in the lines leading up to like the practices leading up before. The linebacker coach never called me the right name. He called me Silas. <laughs> and I said, my name's not Silas. My name's Sila. He said, Silas, I call you what I want to call you. Get in line. Uh, I said, I told him in the last practice, I said, hey, by the time I leave here, you're going to know my f- name. <laughs> it's Sila. It. That's what I told him. Yeah. Right? He said, Silas? Don't worry about that. Just get in line, do what you're supposed to do. So by the time we get to the game, I'm not starting in this all-star game. I'm I'm playing special teams, but we have to switch every three plays. Cali, Florida game, right? So I'm on the field and I'm ranting. Right? I, I don't care about the coaches or what they're saying or nothing anymore. Right? It's game time. I'm on the field by my, you know, we go, we line up for the kickoff. And then they had like a TV thing. So everybody's got to get off the field. Well, everybody else walks off the field. I said, man, f- y'all, I ain't coming off the field. You kick one of them sorry bastards the ball, and I'm going to blow their ass up, and I'm going to get the ball back. I'm going to kill whoever touched the ball. Right? And then leading up to that, we was in these uh, hotel rooms, and I was walking past the Cali boys, and I basically like walked in front of them and like, pushed all of them out of the way, right? Because I was like, I was going crazy yeah. in this moment, right? I <laughs> love it. So I went and pushed all of them out of the way. They're looking at me like, what is wrong with them? I'm like, man, I'll beat up all y'all, you know? And they're like, this is crazy. You're going Florida, like, man. What is he doing? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, this is Florida, man, right yeah, here. Yeah, I'll show right? you Florida, man. <laughs> but um, so then when we get in the game and there's a TV timeout before the game, both sidelines, it goes to sidelines. And there's no music playing. There's no band. There's no nothing. It's just me in the middle of the field saying, kick the damn ball. I'm going to kill whoever touch it. I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to kill whoever touch it. And it did. I went down there and killed the ball right when he got it. I never went back to the sideline. So once the TV timeout came out, everybody just came back on the field. I was still out there in the middle. I didn't give a damn. I wasn't going. I didn't like them coaches. You know, I didn't like anybody. I just stood in the middle of the field. 
So we're going through that game and we're playing that game and we uh, I'm balling now. I'm killing it, right? And we're switching in and out every three plays. Every time I get out there, I'm killing it. Um, had like, I think like 15 tackles, wow. right? Uh, in the first half, I catch an interception in the flat. <laughs> and I'm so enraged that instead of running to the end zone, I ran straight to the quarterback. You found someone. <laughs> to try to them. kill him. <laughs> try to kill him. And he's looking at me like, what is he doing? Right? Because like before, like you would be chasing me, but then right. now I'm running right at right. you. Like, I don't like, want to smoke. Like, I don't want this. Like, what are you doing? Like, we go to the end zone so I can jump on your back or something. Yeah. And I was running right at him and he like ducked at the last second. I tried to kill him. And I fell over him and fell down. I spiked the ball down. got a 15-yard penalty. Spiked the ball at him. I got a 15-yard penalty. <laughs> but I realized, oh, shoot, afterwards, I was angry because I'm like, damn, I could have scored a touchdown right there, right? So didn't score a touchdown. We go into halftime. And in halftime, everybody goes in the locker room. I sit on the bench, right? And finally, I, look, I go walk in the locker room. I get in there. I'm like, Man, I don't care what none of y'all saying. Everybody playing soft. We Florida boys. And all y'all playing soft, letting these Cali boys push y'all around. Y'all soft asses. If y'all gonna be soft, then stay in the locker room. If you got some nuts, then come back out here with me. As the coaches were talking, I just said, shut shut up. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking. I'm in charge now. Right? So I started talking crazy, go. I walk out, go back to the field. Now we go on the field. The first punt that happened, I'm on a punt team, and I'm chasing the dude out of bounds on their sideline, and somebody pushes me in the back. Uh-oh. They pushed me in the back. I jumped up on their sideline. I said, who did it? Was it you? Was it you? Was it you? And they're like, no, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. me. It wasn't me. And then I pointed at the coach. I said, hey, you going to pay for this shit, <laughs> right? And I pushed him. I pushed the coach <laughs> and, and, and ran back across the field, right? So then the very next play, after the punt, I catch another interception. I take the interception and I run it into the end zone, except the pylon's here. So, and it's this is their sideline. I get it. I run it inside the pylon for a touchdown, and I keep running full speed back towards <laughs> up their sideline. Into, <laughs> into where all of the players were standing. And I spiked the ball. <laughs> and I looked at the coach in the face. I told you you was going to pay for this. I told you you was going to pay for this. It's unreal. Right? <laughs> so they threw me another 15-yard penalty. I'm running across. I'm running across the field, right? I'm running across the field. And the linebacker coach is like, <sighs> you know, for the chest bump. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I stopped. I said, hold on. Uh-oh. What's my name? He said, Siler, Siler. I said, I told you your ass was going to know my name before I left you. Wow. And bang, that's how that game went. I won MVP of the game. Two interceptions, one back for a touchdown. I think we won like 14, 13 or something like that. And that's how that happened. And then after that All-Star game, when I got back home, first call on my phone was USC. Oh, yeah, that. How'd that go? I said, F- you mother f- <laughs> click. And I hung up on him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and 
Florida was one of those teams that had been there the whole time. And uh and I was like, you know what? Like these these guys have stuck it out. They've been there. And I wanted my baby sister was just being born. Um, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? I want to be close to mm-hmm. her. When my baby sister was born, Jada, I said, Look, she is innocent baby, you know, she needs a brother in her life, can't go too far. So I went to University of Florida. I used to go back on a couple days breaks mm-hmm. and everything with her. And uh, <sighs> that was a big part of choosing the University of Florida. Zook was a big part of choosing the University of Florida. Uh, Loxley, uh, mm-hmm. you know. We had all of those people that, you know, they were recruiting me right. and I felt a personal connection with them. Channing. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt a really good connection with him when I took a visit there, right? Um, so we went through, I went through all of that in my recruiting process, ended on Florida, and Zook said to me right before that game, Zook said, look, we have a really good recruiting class. If you go get five or six of those guys that are playing with you in that game, we'll win a national championship in your junior year. Mm. And I did. I went and got five or six of those guys. I got Tony Joiners. I got a couple of other guys. And they all went to Florida with me. And uh, we won a national championship in our junior year. Yes, you did. He just wasn't around to see us. But, yeah, we did. He was right about that. So that was the recruiting process. Obviously, your book, Definition of a Leader, is kind of where the leadership started. So talk about how – your leadership style developed throughout your time at Florida and what that looked like, if it was kind of an immediate thing or if it was a slow drip? It wasn't an immediate thing in leadership, right, Um, in the leadership at Florida because when I first got there, I was behind Channing and behind Javier Estopina uh, that went on to play D-Tackle for us, and I was upset, right? It's kind of like the Cali game. I was upset about that. Um, but what I, what I, what I did was I changed my mindset to continue to grind and continue to beat any person in front of me. And what happened in that was, you know, Channing was this all world guy, right? Breaking records for tackles and stuff at the University of Florida and all of that. And, um, he was kind of like my big brother when Mm -hmm. I got to campus. Right. Um, and. I was used to playing, right? Right. I didn't want to play special teams and all of this. But if you put me on special teams, and that's why I changed my dynamic of my mind. If you put me on special teams, I'm going to be the best at that, right? If we go play red light, green light, I want to be the best <laughs> at that. Four corners, right. the best, right? right? Right. It doesn't matter what we're doing. You know, right. we'd be playing cornhole. I will dominate <laughs> at cornhole, right? Because that is my personality. I want to win. Like, and I'm infatuated with that winning. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I hate to lose. Even more than I like to win, I hate to mm-hmm. lose. Yes. Yep. You know what I'm yes. saying? And that, <laughs> and that's what drives you, right? So when um, at Florida, when I first got there, I was behind, you know, a bunch of players. And then um, <clears throat> I continued to learn, though, as I was behind, right? People think that leadership happens the second you get in a leadership role. Well, leadership happens a long time before that, right? Because you have to observe 
where the leadership is when you aren't a leader, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, what you would do different, how are people responding, what are they saying when they're not around the leader. You can't, you can't get that intel when you're a leader, right? If I ask you if you're a leader, what are they saying when they're not around you? Mm-hmm. You right. can't ever tell me, right. right? But if I'm not a leader, I can get that intel and then incorporate that into my leadership style or whatever it is that I'm doing when I become a leader, right? So if you're not preparing yourself to be a leader before you ever get there, then you will never lead effectively, right? You have to start when you are not the leader. You have to start thinking of yourself as the leader and what you would do in that scenario. And that's what I did, right? So Channing was a big personality, you know, and a lot of the guys that played for us, they respected him, you know, and he was kind of like the head honcho. They were a little bit younger than him. Um, and he was the man at that time, you know. Um, but the way that he did things, he did some things great. You know, he taught me some great things. But he also did some things that was not as great, mm-hmm. right? He, the right. way that he talked to people, the way that he talked down to people, it didn't get the best out of people. And when they wasn't around him, they were saying what an asshole he was and they didn't want to play with him and da 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 So I observed that before I ever became a leader, right? And I thought about the things that I would do differently if I was in Channing's position, right? And then lo and behold, my freshman year, Channing gets hurt, right? And I have to go and play for Channing, right? One of the first things and one of the first moves that I made when I went in but Channing was those same guys that were looking at Channing crazy that I heard them talk about it the other right. way. You know, Channing would let them know how good he was and they needed to be better. Da, 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 da. When I ran out on the field and I took the first huddle, I said, hey, listen, I don't care what you've been told in the past. Y'all are great. Every single one of y'all. Not one of y'all has one person in front of y'all that can block you. That's better than you. I said, so forget what you've been told in the past. Take whatever gap you want. Just beat your man. And if you beat that man in the wrong gap, I'm five, six yards behind you. I'll make you right. That's awesome. I said, now y'all go whoop their ass, and I'm back here as a safety net. I'll catch everything that y'all don't. And if the coach has a complaint and says that you go to the wrong spot, I'll take the blame. I got you. Now go be great. Ready? Break. (laughs) And I walked back after that huddle. And as they were getting in their three-point stands in front of me, they said something to each other and looked back at me like. And I knew from that point on that I had them. Right. They they were going to they were going to play for me different than they played for anybody else. And bang, that's how that worked. But that's how leadership is developed. You, you, It's not developed when you get into leadership. It's developed before. It's learning mm-hmm. and understanding that stuff beforehand. There's such a diverse background with 130 guys on the team. If you try to teach them the same way, it won't resonate with some guys. So with your leadership style and realizing the fact that guys are completely different, how do you resonate with each kind of different component on the team? 
that first year when Shannon left and that sophomore year when, you know, the pros used to come back and kind of because of the switch from Zook to Urban, I loved Zook. So I was all against them firing him, mm -hmm. right? Right. So now they bring in Urban from Utah, and we don't, you know, we're Southeast football. It's like, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? And in the very first meeting, Urban did something dynamic. He singled me out, right? He had heard that I was straight-A student, SEC Freshman Player of the Year. Everybody loved me in the community. He's a funny guy, smart, cool. But he didn't understand that I was the biggest party on the team either. <laughs> right? Your dynamic, yeah. He didn't understand that. Right. But at that time, he singled me out because he said, oh, I want everybody to be like Brandon Siler, right? And then my players are looking at me like, wait a minute, I thought you didn't like him. I thought we was on the Zook train, and now all of a sudden this dude comes in here and right. all of a sudden you his, yeah. you're his guy. Yeah. You, you're the one telling us that Zook's our guy, right? right? So um, – that second year was a real struggle um, in a leadership dynamic because you had people looking at me in a certain way. You had when these pro guys came back, like, oh, I don't know that guy. He playing both sides of the fence and all of that. And it's like, guys, it was my party. How can I be the one that's snitching that we had a party? It was <laughs> right. my party. Guys. Yeah. But that gets into you as a young person. And finally, after I realized we wasn't going to win a championship that second year, I said, forget it. You know, I'm going to fight. And I don't care if they like me. I have to make them respect me. Right? So what I did was something different and dynamic. I went. Urban had a leadership committee. And the leadership committee was built of the leaders of the team. Not so much of the best players on the team. It was just the people with the influence, right? So you had mm. the thugs had a group, right? And the nerds had a group and the country boys had a group. There was all these little sub groups mm. out there, right? What I understood very early was I couldn't influence everybody the same way, mm -hmm. right? So I had to get intertwined into every group. So I stayed after and studied with the nerds, kicked it with them and spent some time with them. I went frog gigging and hog catching <laughs> and caught gators with the country boys, right? Because I wanted to understand what made them go. And also by being around them, they get to understand what made me go, what I cared about, what I didn't care about, what was my real goals, and able to fester all these goals into having one dynamic goal at the end of the day. Um, same thing with the thug. Should we go to the club? Right. <laughs> if they was drinking and hanging out and smoking, I don't even like to smoke. Smoke a little bit with you if we want to hang out. And I want to make sure that you understand that I'm here with you. I'm in your scene. I'm cool with it. I want to get to know you. What makes you go? What makes you not go? What do you care about? When you're unmotivated and not feeling good, I need to understand why you're not feeling that way and what can get you back on mm -hmm. track. You get what I'm saying? Yep. So I made a connection in every one of those circles. And only that way when I spoke, mm -hmm. everybody understood me. See, people think leadership is about uh, what you give to people and, and, and what you put into them and how you discipline them and what you make them do. But you can't really be a great leader if you don't let people know 
what makes you go. What mm-hmm. is given, what, what you're given and how you're giving it because then those people fight for you in a different way, right? Those people will go to bat for you in a different way because they got a chunk of your heart and they understand what makes you go and why it goes and what you're doing and how you're doing it. And only when you make that connection with all these different circles that you can ultimately call yourself a leader because every one of them will follow you because they understand you and they know that you understand them. And that's what I did after we lost that last game um, my sophomore year. And it was a fight. It was a struggle. Mm. It wasn't easy. Um, I fist fought mm. a lot of times for respect mm. and to earn a situation because I didn't care about what they thought of me, right? A lot of times leaders think that they got to be the most right. liked person in the room. No, you don't. You don't have to be the most liked person in the room. You got to be the most respected. Right. They got to they gotta love you and know that you're going to have their back and do the right thing right. by them. Being the, being the most liked doesn't get you anywhere. Being Nowhere. the most loved and actually connecting with people the way you went around that, I think it's a great example of how to do it. It's a people game all the time. Mm-hmm. That's what it always we talk about on the podcast every episode because anyone who's successful understands a people game. It's a people game. Well, so that's a beautiful illustration of that. What's sure. interesting about your approach too and it's unique is that if you read any of those leadership books or you go listen to leadership conferences, it's like, what is your leadership style? And it's like this linear Here's how right. I do leadership. But with you, it's like I'm the leader that the people I lead need me to be at that exact moment in time. That's what people don't understand. People try to like, like gild it into like these styles, right? Right. Well, leadership is um, exactly what's needed for people to follow at that time. Right. And everyone's so like different. Everyone- it's, you have to be you have to be adaptable, yeah. right? You have to adapt to the situation. And the people that are following you, right? And the situation that is in front of you, what are y'all facing, right? And if you can't adapt that, you everybody thinks that you can like put that into a category of leadership. That's not right. how it works. Or they're or they're being a chameleon, but in a inauthentic way. You got to actually want to show up and want to see people succeed, not just fit in with them or whatever. They got to know you mean it. You have to be creative in the ways that you uh, motivate people. The year before we won a national championship, I would watch film and coach would say, oh, everybody's loafing on this play. So what I did was I said, well, you know, it's crazy, Ray. You think you're so fast, but I think Jarvis is the fastest D lineman we got. And he might be a little bit faster than Derek Harvey, but Ray, you don't have a chance. (laughs) And Ray's like, you think Jarvis is faster than me? <laughs> I said, I, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm looking at how he gets to the ball. I mean, he's been on every play the entire time, right? <laughs> like, he's been on every single play. Every time I turn on film, it's Jarvis, Jarvis, Jarvis. Every day, everywhere, he's everywhere, <laughs> right? So, I mean, we probably should have a contest on who gets to the ball. <laughs> That psychology is great. It's like when your parents are like, hey, go get that thing for me at the end of the driveway. I'll time you. And right. You're like, oh, hell yeah. I'm gonna get <laughs> five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so now our coaches that were watching us the year before, now this year, they're watching. They drop back and throw a fly all the way down the field. And if the footage is catching them throw this fly. But I said it doesn't matter if it's a dead ball or whatever. Whoever gets there first. 
So you will see Dallas Baker mm. catch a fly, and he's jogging back to mm -hmm. the huddle, and you see seven of us running at a full speed. That's awesome. Towards Jarvis, and he's like, <laughs> what are y'all doing? Or towards Dallas, he's like, what are y'all doing? Yeah. <laughs> and we're flying to him to touch him first, right? right? But that's it, right? Because that mentality, what needed to be changed was the way that we practice. We need to practice full speed so that when we get to the games, it was just second nature, mm -hmm. right? And we were one of the most vicious defenses ever because it was always 11 men to the ball. It was always us. Right. You couldn't make another move because we was always there. But that's a part of leadership, and that's a way that you have to be versatile. You can't just be uh, this style or that style. You have to be. You have to adapt. What's it like being a leader amongst football players? Right, we talk about leaders and companies a lot. It's a relatively passive environment for the most part. But when you're with a bunch of alpha males, I mean, a guy like Tebow comes in, right? And he's a leader who learned a lot from you. Mm -hmm. What's that like leading those group of guys? I mean, that's that's difficult. There are so many different experiences, especially when you're dealing with an alpha, alpha, a bunch of alpha males. Yeah. One of the stories that got cut out on a Netflix documentary was right before I took Tebow to the club, right? So I had a mandatory party at my house, right? And it's mandatory for all, yeah. of, all of the team. One of the freshman receivers... And one of the freshman running backs were beefing. They had problems with each other. One of the, the receivers, sister and two cousins were on campus. And they caught him running down the sidewalk. And they pulled up on him and jumped out to try mm. to beat him up. And he ran off. Now, I'm throwing my party that night. I catch wind of this. And neither one of them is at the party. So I call him. I said, look, this is a mandatory party. This is our campus. You either be here or you be square. I'll see you in the morning. Either you going to be here tonight or you see me in the morning. I'll see you in 10 minutes. That's all you got. Right? <laughs> I just had the same speech of both of them. Oh, this dude, that I, I don't care about that. You come here, I got you. So me and Tebow was playing a video game upstairs, right? And we're playing Madden. We're going back and forth. I'm whooping his ass. <laughs> Unlike he said in his book. Whooping <laughs> Right? Whooping them. The house kind of empties because we were on the third floor and the party is going, but then it empties. And I'm like, oh man, what's going on? We pause it. I look over the uh, balcony and all of our teammates are down there because these two guys have pulled up. Mm. So I go down the stairs. I say, hey, I'm coming down. Everybody hold up. I get down the stairs. I run down there. Do, 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 do. Run down there. I say, hey, I'm going to tell you something right now. This football oh. team we run this campus, okay? So nobody ever in their life from off this campus will ever come on this campus and think that they can put hands on somebody that plays on this football team because I will beat their ass. And I looked at them like this. If you're confused about who I'm talking about, then try it again, right? They're standing there, and the and the and the the sisters. Right. I'm like, somebody shut up! <laughs> somebody shut up! <laughs> All right? I said, okay, so you got a problem with him, right? Well, I ain't got. A, I said, you got a problem with him, right? I said, yeah. I said, and you got a problem with him, right? 
said, yeah. I said, okay, cool. If anybody else jumps in this, I'm jumping in on the other side. Now, fight. <laughs> and they looked at me like they saw a ghost. They're like, what, wait, what? I said, I didn't stutter. <laughs> I said, fight. And they went, <laughs> right? And Tebow's standing behind me. He's watching this whole thing, right? This is his first day on campus. Yeah. He's <laughs> first day on campus. Culture shock for him. First day on <laughs> campus. Yeah. I said, I waited till they got dead tired. They couldn't really even punch each other no more. I pulled them apart. Said, hey. All right, y'all got it out your system. Okay. That's over with. Our brotherhood here. We can't fight with each other. We love each other. Not give each other a hug. Made them hug. I said, now that'll be the last time we hear about that issue ever again. And bang, we go back upstairs. We start playing video game. We walk down to the club. <laughs> Tebow asks, I'll, I'll go with you if you like. That's where this whole club scene happens. <laughs> gotcha, in the gotcha. So they cut that part out. There's a lot more before that. So, That's how that happened. And then, and then the next day, when I got to workouts the next day, those two guys were spotting each other on the really. That's, That's epic. Awesome. That's a great story. But speaking of Swamp Kings and that incredible story they cut out for some reason, what was it like <laughs> working with Netflix? Because everyone watches Netflix. Not everyone, not anyone hardly has ever worked with them filming something like that. What was that like? The first time that I recorded with Netflix, it was kind of quick. You know, it was kind of like one of those one hop things. Mm -hmm. And I guess they went around and talked to everybody else. And everybody kept, it, the stories kept pointing back to me, right? Gotcha. <laughs> And um, they loved the way that I told the stories, right? They could hear it from a lot of different angles, but the way that I told it was intriguing to them. So they kept coming back and filming again and again and again and again. So it was a great experience, but it was just kind of like it compound on top of, on top of, on top of trying to get everybody together. There was a component of the university, not really... Under, sure. Not really yeah. wanting any kind of. Right. And then there was, of, of our players, there was a bunch of players that didn't want no negative stuff said about certain players on our team mm -hmm. and all right. of that stuff. So you kind of had to play a delicate balance in that. I was the guy that understood all of that, kind of that led us back then. And I felt in this scenario, I had to do exactly the exactly. same thing. Right. I had to play in between the university and Netflix and the producers and the and the people on campus that were trying not to uh, expose something that would be negative. I think at the end of the day, we did something positive. And when you get, you know, a hundred of the most alpha of the alpha guys in a room together, there's going to be some negative stuff. There's going to be some bad stories. But the reason that our stories were so highlighted is because we were also playing great football, mm -hmm. right? Right. And the fact that we were playing great football was what made us special. That time of us playing football is what made us special. And I think that is what we need to capture in that documentary. And that's what we did. But let's dive into to Legacy Pro Sports more. What's the story? What's the genesis of that? I retired after my sixth year in Kansas City. Um, Javon Belcher, who was the only person on the team that played my same position, Mike Linebacker, and one of my best friends on the team, he shot his fiance and then came to the facility, shot himself in the head. Javon was one of those people that would give you a shirt off his back. 
right? Mm. But because of what he had done and murdered his his fiance, it was very controversial at the time. I just uh, I fell out of love with the game of football when that happened. Uh, first of all, we played a game that was that was Saturday. We played on Sunday, right? Um, and everywhere Javon was at on the depth chart, I was there in his place. Mm. You know, so scratch mm. his name off, put mine. Mm-hmm. And the realization of that, the realization that football was going to move on no matter what, no matter what happened, no matter how much you gave it, and the mental health aspect of it was the fact that, you know, your mental health was on the line as you played the sport. Um, and if I could say that, oh, would you do it again? Of course I would do it again. I, I love football and I love what it's given to me and my family and the opportunity. Um, but also being aware of the things that are happening and, and, mm-hmm. and actually being able to foresee or treat those things uh, beforehand is something that I think that you can change the game with. That's why right now I have, you know, two mental health facilities. Um, my main one is Peer Recovery California in Oxnard, California, right. where guys go, they go get treated for anxiety, depression, uh, TBI, substance abuse, neurocognitive issues, all of that, right? So you're going to go there, you're going to see psychiatrists, psychologists, neurologists, neuropsychs. Uh, you're going to go see uh therapists that have group therapy, individual therapy. You're also going to get brain mapping mm-hmm. where you can see what neurons are not connected in a certain way and then wow. actually fix that. You get TMS right. therapy, right. therapy, massage therapy. You got a private chef that's cooking you three meals a day. But all of this is things that you need in order to get back in touch with yourself and what made you great as a person. Because most of the time when us as football players, when we become great, we think we are great football players, right? But ultimately, we're great people right. that are good at football. And that's what you get back in touch with when you go to our rehab facilities. In 2012, after Javon did that, I said, I'm done, right? So I'd never been cut from an NFL team. I walked out, mm. I left, and I said, I can't do it anymore, right? For two and a half years, people still called me to play. I'm like, I can't. Right. I can't even look at the game the same. I couldn't even watch it on TV for three years. Mm. After that, I I went back to the University of Florida, finished up my degree because I only had uh, three years there. I was on a fast track, but it would have took me a full three years, but it's really only two and a half semesters, right? Because football season, you have to go train for right. combine and talk in front of a bunch of University of Florida, like boosters, whatnot. Right. And um, I knew that I had to be strong in what I was built on. Um, but I also wanted a career. So I told him, I'm like, look, I got money. I ain't mowing nobody lawns or doing nothing that. But what I do have and what my value is that, that I'm smart. I'm a leader. I'm going to give you a different perspective, anything in your business. So if you have a business that's need to be shaken or stirred, that need leadership, that needs somebody with some fire that comes with an outside perspective from the industry that you've been in, and I'm your guy. That's right? I feel like everyone needs that. I feel like right? <laughs> and after that, they started bidding on me like Shark Tank. <laughs> right? Like, this guy, like, this. You should, we should do this. You should do that. Right. You should do this. You do that. And the one guy that resonated with me was a guy named David Nabavi. He played 
for the University of Florida mm-hmm. 10 years before me. Um, he actually has a national championship. He was a walk-on, late receiver. But he ran a company called CMEX, biggest cement company mm-hmm. in the world. Yep. And at the time, he managed CMEX in the Central Florida area for Ready Mix. So he hired me on. I trained for about six months, went into Ready Mix plants, uh, the block plants, went on truck drivers, did all of this stuff, accounting, dispatch, everything, for about six months. And then I was everybody's boss. He put me in that position, and I'm very thankful to him for that because that opened the door to a corporate world. They put me into a spectrum of apartment complexes that they were only doing like 5% of apartment complexes. Um, and two and a half years later, when I had to go handle my own mental issues and when I had to go start my own company, mm. I was doing 65% of apartment wow. complexes. So that just tells you, you use that same mentality, you use that the same principles. Same tools. And them same tools, and you can do it in the industry. Right. So, But I had about five or six of my friends that asked me like, hey, man, we're having problems with the disability thing. We can't get it. And I'm like, well, what is the problem? So they came to me and they asked me that. Come to me. I'm considered the smart guy, yeah. right? <laughs> figure it out, right? So I'm like, all right, let me try to figure this out for y'all. And I started digging, digging, digging. And more and more I dug, the more and more I understood how the system was created and what we understood. And there was so much of a disconnect, right? Um what we would do and what was required to do in order to win, it was so far away from each other mm. that I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like there needs to be somebody that does something about this. There needs to be somebody that connects this this perspective and what we do and how we understand it to get us all the way to this finish line and to get to where we where we actually can get this disability money and put it in our pockets. I did all that research. I I got those six guys that disability and I realized that this was a market that was untouched, a market that was what it sounds like. It was a necessity for former players because there was a statute of limitations on these disabilities. Mm-hmm. And most of the time guys didn't know until those statute of limitations was up. So there needed to be somebody out there advocating and pushing this information into guys and then also navigating them through the system. And uh, that's what I decided to do. I did that. I continually grown, hired people, grew as a company, uh, advocated, fought as much as I can, um, worked with the NFL trust and PA and NFL and tried to just figure out what it is that we can do to try to bring all of this together. But we are a, a consultant firm. We We work on our own. And the only way that, I get paid or the only way that I win in life is to get my brothers paid. Mm-hmm. Right. And that right there, I can stand on. You know what I'm saying? Like, look, the only way that I'm going to win is if you win. Right. But I'm going to make you win. Right. And I'm the difference in you winning and losing. And that's what we are at Legacy Pro Sports. And uh, five years later, now we have over 5,000 NFL players that we represent. Yeah, we represent guys with gold jackets. You know, we represent mm. pretty much everybody in the industry wow. that is retired that still have a chance at getting their money. So that's what we do. And it's it's so satisfying what we do at Legacy and then what we do at Pure with the rehab stuff. Right. We save lives. Mm-hmm. Like we have over 400 
testimonials of God saying, you changed my life. You saved my life. You saved my marriage. You saved my relationship with my kids. I was on the brink of committing suicide, mm. right? You have all of that stuff where you're like, you're making this much of a difference in God's lives. And for me, that is the ultimate satisfaction. That gives me a high, way above the high that I had when I ran out the tunnel. Way above the high that I had when that confetti was dropping down on my head. Mm. Um, just because I know that I'm making a difference in multiple, multiple, multiple of my brother's lives every day. Every day. I won three cases yesterday. Wow. Right? So that tells you you're making a difference in these guys' lives every day. And that's what really, that's what stirs me up. That's why I'm so proud of my businesses. That's why I'm so proud of what we've grown into. Hopefully we continue to grow, uh, continue to treat more people. We've just now recently started representing guys in the MLB. And hopefully we can help those guys in the same way. And just all athletes um, and all people, really. Uh, I don't think that it should only be athletes that we're mm -hmm. treating because right now we have a certain science and a certain way of doing things with this brain mapping and this neurofeedback and all of these things that are now, they're working. You know, we have like a 90-something percent satisfaction rate when you go out to the facility. Right. Guys go out there thinking that they have a like a, oh, I'm not as bad as this guy. And then they come out of there and they're like, every single one of us need that. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Everybody right. needs that because Let, yeah. that gets us back in touch with who we are, <clears throat> what our purpose is, and what what our identity is outside of football. What's next for specifically those two ventures with, you know, just athletes or you're saying broadening that because it is applicable to many, yeah. other, many other people. Well, I think with the legacy pro sports thing, I think it is a sports right. thing, right. right? It is uh football. Now we have baseball. Right. Um, hopefully we can figure out what basketball right. has, see if we can help right. them out. Any other professional sport or, or uh, any kind of sport sure. right. whatsoever um, we put a curriculum together that we want to try to put onto college campuses. Um, we built the curriculum for college athletes, right? Very you want to cool. get it before it gets crazy, right? You do preventative work with athletes. Um, and I think that's where you need to start is doing right. preventative work. Like there's nobody's going to suffer when you do preventative work for student athletes, right? No. And in the rehab facilities, I think that we can touch so many more people. There's the the law enforcement, mm -hmm. army, first responders, yeah, all of this, veterans. Everything can benefit from the science that we've put together and the programs that we've put together. It's just about how do you touch those people? How do you get to those people? Because I'm good at, you know, our space because our guys are naturally the same guys that we've been taking care of and looking out for. But I think there's a bigger space of taking care of people. All people um, need mental health and to understand what their mental health is and to get better at it, right? Society is now understanding that mental health is real, mm -hmm. exactly. right? Yeah. So in that essence of understanding that it's real, you also have to understand that there's a way to be preventative about it. There's a way to correct it when it happens. There's a way to be, to, to treat it and to be healthy and keep your mental health healthy over time, 
people just have to connect with that. And I think we have that sauce that gets guys to the finish line and make them feel a lot better, that get them in touch with their mental health and um, keeps them healthy. And I think that is what we have to get to the world. I think we have to get that to the masses. You've got a leadership academy you're rolling out for yeah. for youth, correct? Yes. It's kind of a newer venture that you brought on. Yeah, and it's not it's not particularly for youth. My the definition of a leader is my book that I wrote. Yep. Um, and it kind of gives you a spill into circumstances. It mm -hmm. tells stories about my life and the things that have come up that made me into the leader that I became. And then it also gives you trinkets that you can use in your life to become a better leader, right? To uh, push on as a better leader. And the curriculum that rolls out in about a month, um, the leadership curriculum is uh, a curriculum that does exactly that, except it gives you action items, right? So you want to become a certain, uh, uh, a, a leader to a certain degree. You can read a book, right? And you can get everything out of that book and it might change your momentum on things that you do. But in your everyday life, as you move forward and you continue to do things, how do you keep up with those things? This academy is all about that. It's about pushing you through your leadership journey and having something there to be with you as you go there. As you go to different levels, I'll teach you the basic of what that is and how to do that. And then things that you can do in your everyday life. There's uh, a little bit of homework that you get to turn in and get graded, right? And then you can move on to see like my distinct stories of where that situation cool. like that. sits, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because now you want to see how the hell I did that right. and how I worked my way through that um, in my leadership journey. And I think you put all of that together, you got a curriculum now that people can relate with, right? Kids can relate with, adults can relate with. Uh, people that are already in leadership, they can relate with it, but also people that aspire to be in leadership, they can relate to it and they can put the tools together in order to be the best leader that they possibly could be. Are you rolling it out to individuals or are you going to like companies or teams and saying, hey, like, or, or any and all? Yeah, I'm going any and all, right? Of course, there's a little bit of me that want to target the the people that that I feel needed the most. Right, yeah. Right. right? But at the end of the day, I want to reach as many people as I possibly can. It's like my rehab facility, right? I want to give this mental health curriculum to everybody. I want everybody to be the best leader that they possibly can be. And in my book and in my curriculum, that is the sauce to do that. Right. Like that's the beginning of doing that. Right. You're going to that's why it's taking so long to roll it out. Right. Like people ask me all the time, right. like, well, your leadership academy, like Netflix is coming gone. You haven't <laughs> you haven't done it. I was like, no, but it's got to be right first. Hmm. It's got to be right because it's going to have my name on it and it's going to be something that people can relate with. I want it to be something that really is making a difference with people when they read it, when they when they go through the course or the, or the academy they're going to get something out of yep. it that changes them, that stirs them in a different direction. And if it don't have that, then that ain't the B-style of way of leading. For those who either A, want to get involved with the Leadership Academy or B, want to buy the book, how they access those. I think the book's on Amazon, right? Yeah, the book is on Amazon. And then the Leadership Academy, bsala.com. bsala.com, okay. bsala.com. Yeah, you can um, roll out and get the... Um, you can 
pre-buy the Leadership Academy okay. um, that's coming up. And then you can also get the book on bsala.com. Um, and I influence as many people to go out there and get it. It's really, it's really deep in a sense of you're going to see deep down into what makes, you know, me go, what uh, established me, but also things that you can use in your own life, things that you can do and ways that you can go uh, in order to be the best leader that you possibly can be. I want to touch quickly also on the foundation as well. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of what's going on there, how people can help, how Keel can support. We have been putting this foundation in the forefront of a lot of things that we're doing because, you know, mental health is our big thing, right? With Javon, Javon's not the only one. You know, guys that I've played with, I was good friends with Junior Seah mm. when, when he left. I got drafted to San Diego with Paul Oliver when he left. I was teammates with Vincent Jackson, and he actually was due to go out to our facility three days after really? he left, mm. right? We have those sort of scenarios and those sort of things, Shane Olivia, same stuff that there's so many connections that I have with mental health that our nonprofit is about raising money so that we can get treatment for players that don't have the position to do it. You don't understand that in the NFL, when you're done playing, if you played three years or more, you get five years of insurance. And then right. unless you use your HRA to continue that insurance, five years, and then it's done. Mm -hmm. You're still a young man. That's like, when people start realizing, right. oh, shoot, I really got a problem. Right. right? right. Or you, if you don't even play three years, then you don't have any. Right. Right. So what happens to those guys? What happens to these older guys? Mm -hmm. Right. They they ask me all the time, what can you do? My dad's 55 and he wants to get a disability. He never got any disability. I'm like, well, there's no disability really right. for him. There's nothing I can do for him. You know? And he's like, well, he's having all these mental health issues. He's going through this. He's going through that. Like, I don't want to look at that guy and say, well, you shit out of luck. Right. I right. can't do nothing for you. Right. Right. So we built this foundation for those guys that literally can't do anything else. They need the help, but there's no way that they can afford to do it. There's no way for it to go to these programs. They have to lean on programs like ours, nonprofits like ours that can pour money into getting them mentally healthy. How can people help? What is it that y'all need? Is it donations, is it involvement, is it? It's all of the above. It takes a guy about $30,000 of cash to be okay. able to run through a mental health Got program. Okay. And that's one guy, right? Right. That's a great example of what it takes for one. For one guy, yeah. right, to go through that whole mental health program. It takes that much money because they're there. You right. know, they're there 24-7. So, of course, financially, that's the, that is the first thing that you could do is you can help financially. Um, but we have different events. Uh, we throw different things for these guys. And that is a way that you show up, you're there, you you donate. And I think that's a lot of the ways that you can uh, contribute to the cause. So if, we, if they go to Legacy Pro Sports, can you access the foundation through there? If you go to Legacy Pro Sports, you just click the foundation tab. And then it has all of the information okay. on the foundation where you can donate. Yeah. We appreciate all donations. We appreciate y'all for having me and putting us on y'all platform so that 
we can kind of get this information out there Absolutely. and yeah. educate people on what we do and how we do it. We're successful in helping guys. We're saving lives. And with more donations, we can save even more lives. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Like, awesome. that's what's in the future for me. I want to save more and more of my brother's lives. I love it. That's a great message to end on. I appreciate you coming on today. <laughs> Brandon, we love, I mean, we want to keep supporting this mission and hopefully we can keep doing stuff together in the future. For sure. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Appreciate yeah, it, man. Appreciate it, brothers.